second episode was about hunting and the subsequent, you know, 197 episodes after that were all about hunting. Um, so I'm checking it out. I'm like, this guy doesn't seem like he's going to be wearing like a fashion camo vest or anything. But how do I kind of bring it up in a delicate way to where I don't get like reamed by HR or something? So should I start referring to BC as like the California of Canada? Is that- <laughs> it, it's getting bad, man. It doesn't matter if you're in the middle of freaking July. Pack your freaking snow gear. Like, what's an extra tub in the back of your pickup truck really going to cost you? You got to realize you got to forgive yourself for doing that sometimes and just not do it next time. You know, learn from that. Put down your latte and pull on your boots. You and I and everybody listening to this owns 640 million acres. I think he killed more deer drinking his coffee, smoking his cigarette in the pickup truck than I did spending all that time freezing my butt off. Something that I would hope is that people realize that those are wild animals and they have savage natures. I look forward to packing animals out. I look forward to that pain of success. Doesn't matter where you were born. It doesn't matter where you live. I've said it before and you know what? I'll say it again louder for the people in the back. Your present circumstance should not limit your passions. This is Jay Scott of the Jay Scott Outdoors podcast. Hey, this is Ryan Callahan. Hi, this is Jules McLean. Hey everybody, Jason Carter here with Epic Outdoors. Hey guys, this is Tim Burnett with Solo Hunter. You're listening to The Wild Initiative. Hey y'all, welcome to another episode of The Wild Initiative brought to you as part of the Waypoint Outdoor Collective. At Midway USA, we know the AR-15 is one of the most popular rifles in modern American history. Known for its modularity and widespread use, it's often considered essential to any gun collection. The essential things you need to run an AR-15 are usually always in stock during shortages, things like magazines and 5.56 ammo. Whether you're looking to buy a new AR-15 or buy parts for your modern sporting rifle, log on and for just about everything for the outdoors, shop MidwayUSA.com. Fishing like a local isn't just about catching fish. It's about connecting with the environment and the people who call it home. It's about hearing the stories and traditions that have been passed down for generations and sharing unforgettable moments with the people you meet along the way. Fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever. And with Fishing Booker, you can experience it too, no matter where you are. Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker. Okay, y'all, so getting on to today's episode. So, you know, over the past couple of weeks, I have been having some crazy times. I've had family in town. I've had a lot of stuff going on, and I'll admit, I have been a complete slacker. I have not gotten a podcast queued up for this week. And so today I'm actually going to be releasing for y'all a bonus episode. Uh, I was asked by one of my fellow members of the Waypoint Outdoor Collective, Kevin. He is the host of the Focus Hunting Podcast. Uh, He asked me to hop on and talk with him for a bit. We had a great chat. So I wanted to release that episode and let y'all enjoy my appearance on Kevin's the focus hunting podcast. <laughs> no, it's all good, man. <laughs> I can I, stop talking shit about Trudeau. Is that, is that? No, no. <laughs> Any shit you talk about that guy is going to be true. Oh, too good. How's the uh, neck of the woods? Uh, nothing really to complain about. I've got to love Montana here. Um, I mean, I'm stuck in Gallatin County, which is, there's a reason they call Bozeman, Bozangeles, but, uh, 
other than that, uh, in fighting with the uh, the random uh, haters out here, <laughs> it's pretty good. Still you have got- to uh, still have to fight against some people with masks. Everywhere else in Montana is pretty much open. There's certain spots in Bozeman that are still. Excuse me, sir. Do you need a mask? I don't think that's going to be a while. I think before that crap goes away. At least you guys, man. We're still in. We got so much shit we're dealing with up here, but they just uh, restricted an in-province travel ban. Yeah, I was so, going to say, aren't you guys like fully locked down at the moment or something crazy like that? Yeah, we're not as bad as Ontario, but man, we're not far off. Oh, geez. Where, where are you at again? British Columbia, Kelowna. Okay, okay. Down in the, uh, the sunny part of, of the country. <laughs> a few of them. Oh man. Yeah. One of these days I've always wanted to get up there. always wanted to do some hunting and, uh, was hoping to do that, you know, in the, within the next year or two, but who knows at this point, man, like it's just wild. Yeah. This shit's going to leave everything a little different up here in terms of, uh, in terms of guys coming up to hunt. I don't know, but, uh, we'll see, but there's a lot of critters up here to hunt anyway. Oh yeah. No, I mean, it's, there's a, there's a lot I want to get up there and do, uh, get up there for some, some moose, get up there for some caribou. I definitely, uh, missed my chance on the, uh, on the grizzly, I guess, but. Oh man. (laughs) That (laughs) just your reaction, man. I know that was kind of, pardon the, pardon the pun, but that was kind of poking the bear right there on that one. (laughs) (laughs) That that's, you know, that, uh, it's just such a too soon, uh, too yeah. soon, man. <laughs> oh, I'm an asshole. I apologize. Uh, it's just such an unpragmatic, like the whole thing was just a crock of shit, right? Like they, in 2000, 2017, when an unelected government took power, that was one of their first initiatives is that they said, okay, listen, we promised guys that we're going to ban this hunt. But then a few guys from the, well, the GOABC, the guide outfitters, uh, of British Columbia, they kind of stepped in and said, no, no, we need some background on this. We need some science-based science-based facts here before you just shut this down. And the understanding was that what they were going to do was like uh, originally before they, the ban, you didn't have to take the meat out. You could just take the hide and mm-hmm. and that was it. So the understanding was that they were going to switch it to like the black bear. And then in late 2017, um, early 2018, they just came across and did a flat out ban. This is basically, there you go. That's pretty yeah. much it. Jeez. So that's, that's so wild. I mean, it's, you know, I mean, I'm from, you know, I, you've kind of followed my story for a while. You know, I'm from California yeah. and it's, it's the same kind of, it's the same kind of horse shit over there. You know, Hey, uh, you know, we need to, we need to ban mountain lion hunting. Why? Because I like kitties. Like, fuck you dude like what what legitimate basis same thing with uh you know they we still have a uh, black bear hunting out there um i gotta get out of the habit of saying we because uh i mean i'm no longer part of that we uh but there's still black bear hunting out of, out there uh but they cut back on any sort of baiting trapping or uh running dogs so you know the quotas never met for black bear they banned bobcat hunting why <laughs> because because i have because i have feelings and i'm from california gosh fuck you guys like honestly kills yeah, me. They, that's a, we deal with the same shit up here you get like in british columbia the majority of the population is down in vancouver and uh victoria mm-hmm. area and that's where all the politics are you know all the decisions that are made out of those two places and they don't see anything that's going on in the rest of the province but and then all of a sudden 
uh, a little dog gets taken by a coyote or a cougar, and then they're hypocrites saying, well, what are we doing about these cougars? Like, it's totally hypocritical then, right? Like, now it's affecting them, so now they're a problem. So so should I start referring to BC as, like, the California of Canada? Is that- <laughs> it, it's getting bad, man. Now they're trying, now, um, I don't know if it's fell in on the lap of the, the government yet, but there's, I mean, there's a lot of anti-hunting animal rights oh, yeah. activists up here. I mean, same as everywhere else, and they're, now they're trying to, after all predator hunting in the province. But I mean, like, it's like the grizzly bear. They're going to have a problem with grizzly bears here in the next couple of years because I spend a lot of time in the backcountry and I've seen, you know, I, I see, start to see grizzly bears where I've never seen them before and they're getting a little closer. Man, it's like, can we just, can we just section off like a good chunk of, of Canada and maybe like, you know, Montana and Idaho and Colorado, just section off these nice mountain states here and, uh, create a new United States up there and then like ship all the ship, all the, uh, the anti hunters and, and folks of that nature, you know, we can send them to the East coast here. You know, we can send them just kind of section off these good States, make a new United States and a new Canada, just kind of re uh, restructure it. So we get the, get the good, good people in one spot and the people can have exactly what they want in their countries. Cause that's totally doable. That's that kind of, I kind of laugh at that because uh, we've talked about that uh, a number of times, me and some friends and some other colleagues, just they should have split Canada and the U.S. down the other way. Yeah. <laughs> we could take we can take everybody interested in the outdoors, hunting, fishing, and that sort of lifestyle. We could take the West. We can let everyone overcrowd the East who doesn't want anything to do with that. I mean, the Southern states could come along. They're pretty cool, I guess. You know, we could, we could allow them in. It's a little different, but, you know. <laughs> Uh, anyway, man, uh, first off, love the podcast. Um, you know, I've been working my way backwards through them for, for a little bit now here and, uh, see you had a few good old Canadian boys recently on your show, Jim and Greg. Yep. Yeah. Had, uh, that's actually the second time I've had Jim on, um, trying to think if I've had any other, any other Canadians on the podcast. Uh, yeah, you had, uh, Rachel Attila on there. Yeah. Yeah. I had Rachel, had Jim, Greg, uh, Mikhail, I feel like there's there might be one more floating around in there somewhere. I'll have to uh, I'll have to uh, do a good old search on the podcast page and and give it a check. But yeah, hey, I'm, I'm, uh, those are the only three I've gotten to so far. But Jim and, Jim and Greg, uh, I had Greg on my show. He's uh, he's a beauty. Oh yeah, there. You know, it's all and all three of those podcasts were so different. Talked about so many different things, and um, you know, it's just cool getting a chance to talk with people from any and every like perspective and angle and walk of life in the, you know, in the outdoor world and, you know, even some from without, and I've had some cool conversations about hunting with folks that uh, aren't really hunters um, or, you know, just getting into it. Oh, you know who else uh, I've had on? He was on a bonus episode and it was a really interesting one. I did an Instagram live. Uh, You familiar with Robin Black? Uh, the name sounds familiar. He is an MMA commentator and, uh, he's a Canadian dude. Uh, he's like buddies with Joe Rogan and this and that. And, uh, one of my employees actually was like, Hey, you need to talk to this guy. And so we start talking and he's like, he used to be in the music industry. Like you would look at this guy. You're like, why on earth would you talk to this guy about hunting? And he does, he does some amazing videos on Instagram. He calls them the one minute breakdowns and he'll like break down a, uh, the key moments in a fight in one minute, but then he'll also do the same thing for like, like 
two bums fighting on the street or like one insect eating <laughs> another. And it's hilarious. But uh, yeah, I had him on and he's this wild dude. And we we're talking and he's like, oh yeah, no, I grew up like trapping with my grandfather in Canada. I'm like, what? <laughs> and uh, yeah, so he's, that's, that's the other, I was like, I know I had one other Canadian dude on, but that, that was an interesting one. Cause it's such a different perspective. And it was an Instagram live. So it was a bit weird. It wasn't like an official podcast, but I released it on, uh, on the podcast. It was, it was a fun one though. It was a really cool, different, uh, different thing to talk about. Uh, no doubt. I'll, uh, I'll check that out. Sounds like a neat dude for sure. <laughs> yeah. And yet you, so you had on Jim on twice. He's pretty much, uh, well, Jim's like Wayne Gretzky up here. He's pretty much the man. <laughs> Comes yeah. to He's pretty much the man. I think in terms of hunting I, in any, I, uh, I any, country though oh absolutely like he's just i don't know he's just kind of one of the originals like they they really define so much about hunting to a lot of a lot of people myself included um and having the chance to have him on you know that's the second time i've had him on first time i had him on you know i just i I was one of those days where i'm like you know just shoot for gold here like i had released you know maybe 20 podcasts or so at that point um you know so i had some under my belt but I was like, All right, shoot, you know, shoot for gold. I just reached out on Instagram, like on the off chance he might see it. Like the next day he gets back to me and he's like, oh man, sorry, it took me so long to get back to you. And I was kind of like, you're Jim Shockey. You could have gotten back to me in six years and I still would have been happy. <laughs> um, but yeah. And, you know, he said, he's like, yeah, I'd love to be on the podcast. Just shoot an, shoot an email and, uh, and uh, we'll follow up. And I'm kind of like, okay, you know, I'll shoot the email and I won't, you know, hear back from his assistant or whatever. And I get it, you know. Then the next day I, I get an email back and like, Oh, when would you like to schedule it? And we get it all scheduled. And though, and I'm still expecting it not to go through the entire time. I'm like, something's going to happen. Like there's no way Jim Shockey's coming on my podcast. And the entire time I was talking with him that first episode, I was just entranced. I kept forgetting to ask questions because I was so just, uh, just focused on listening to him and what he had to share and what he was saying. And then, um, yeah, there was a couple of times where I was waiting for the podcast host to, uh, to ask his next question when I had to realize that, Oh shit, I'm the podcast. host. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I get it, man. I've, uh, it's funny how you get that. It just happens. I've, uh, I've gone through it for sure. And obviously I'm nowhere, nowhere near as experienced as you are, but, uh, man, that's pretty cool. I haven't, uh, I haven't reached out to Jim or anything yet, but I mean, we're both from BC and maybe one day I'll, I'll, I'll get him on the show, but yeah, Jim's pretty much, like I said, Jim's pretty much the man when it comes to hunting for sure. Well, that's one of the, that's one of the cool things is like, especially in the hunting industry. And that's honestly part of the reason why this be uh, my podcast became a hunting podcast originally it was supposed to be a wider variety of kind of quote unquote country things and uh it it kind of became a hunting podcast because the caliber of people that are willing to talk to someone that's i mean effectively a nobody like i haven't done much of anything uh just to you know to speak of compared to a lot of these guys and but the fact that they're willing to come and hop on my podcast and spend an hour, an hour and a half talking to me, answering my questions, like the accessibility and the willingness of these people to do that is wild to me. Like that is absolutely crazy. And, uh, you know, it's, it's such an open community. It's a really cool community. And, uh, you know, it's, I wouldn't be where I'm at today if it wasn't for that openness in the community for me, just reach out to someone on Instagram and they're, you know, a week later, suddenly I'm talking with him. So 
Yeah, no, totally, dude. Uh, you know, the hunting community is definitely a, is a, a niche group of individuals, that's for sure. But uh, maybe, Sam, maybe before we uh, we get too far uh, down the road here, maybe you can just start off by letting uh, the folks up here in Canada know who you are. Maybe throw in uh, uh, your last name, too, so I don't mess up the pronunciation of it. Oh, yeah, no, it's all good. Uh, I'll give, give you the whole rundown. So I'm uh, Sam Ayers. Um, and, uh, not, not Aries, not Ares, not Ayers, Ayers. Um, so now all the telemarketers know how to ask for me. Uh, no, I, I, um, you know, long story short, I did not grow up hunting. Um, you know, my experience with the outdoors is every summer we'd spend two weeks in this, uh, place and, and kind of Southern California area in Kings Canyon and Sequoia national forest called Hume Lake. Um, it was a beautiful area. You know, those are two, uh, beautiful, beautiful, uh, areas, you know, with the redwoods and, um, you know, some of the biggest trees in, in North America and, uh, you know, rivers and lakes. And I grew up there and we'd go out there for two weeks and I grew up fishing, you know, just spin reel fishing, uh, for, stocked rainbow trout uh on you know i I, in the off the same like two or three rocks for probably since the time i was three i caught my first fish there um but that was really my experience with the outdoors it was always a vacation thing uh you know sometimes we'd go on i'd go on a camp or do some stuff with my school whatever it may be but that was how i grew up and uh you know i started uh just going through high school and into college, I started getting into advertising and uh, all of this technical digital stuff, uh, you know, was um, wanted to get into advertising, wanted to work in LA. I was that guy that, you know, I wanted to, I wanted to wear three piece suits, have the penthouse apartment uh, in the middle of downtown LA. I wanted to work with high end ad clients. I was driving a little two seat roadster convertible. I, you know, that was my dream. And you know, it's a, it's a really long story about how that all changed, but effectively I got into guns and, uh, through, through getting into guns and through getting into some other stuff and meeting a few different people, my interest started changing. And over the course of a couple of years, I went from this, this city kind of dude into all of a sudden, you know, I'm this bearded tattooed guy that's wearing cowboy boots getting into hunting and I, I just developed this passion and really the, the whole reason I started this podcast and how it kind of came about was I was, uh, you know, I'd picked up a bow for the first time in years. I'd been getting interested in hunting because of shooting. And, uh, I, I was at Bass Pro. I was visiting my brother at the time lived right next to a Bass Pro. And so I go into this Bass Pro and I was just going to price out a bow and they saw a sucker coming from a mile away, man. I'll tell you what, they sent over, they saw me walk in. I was eyeballing the bows and they sent over the, the pretty blonde, you know, uh, sales girl. And before I knew it, I blacked out and I woke up in my car about $650 poorer with a, a new bow and a, like, I don't even know what happened. I don't even remember half of that. But, uh, you know, after that, it just, it was all, you know, downhill from there. Like I just, I just lost myself into it, uh, started shooting and, I was out, you know, off-roading, I was shooting guns. I was going to country concerts. I was going to these line dancing nights and I all my, these friends asking, uh, ask me, they're like, Oh, I didn't know you could do that in LA. How do you do that? Where do you go to do that? And I was like, well, I should start like a blog and an Instagram for this just to share it. And I, I was like, okay, what do I call it? And I went about as on the nose as I possibly could. And it was called living country in the city. Um, 
after a while, I realized that I just did not like blogging. It was, I, I mean, I was good at it, but I just did not enjoy the time it took to do that. But I love talking to people. And I had some people encourage me to start a podcast. I'm like, well, I've never been hunting before, but you know, it's about all of this other stuff. And so I started this podcast and then suddenly it, I recorded one episode uh, with a country, a country trio in Los Angeles. The second episode was about hunting and the subsequent, you know, 197 episodes after that were all about hunting um, <laughs> and fishing. But it just, I started the whole podcast because I wanted to share what I was doing with my friends. And I, I had no background in hunting. I wanted to kind of chronicle my journey of getting into it as well as have an excuse to just reach out to really cool people and be like, Hey, you know, again, like Jim Shockey, Hey, can I ask you about hunting and conservation for the next two hours? <laughs> um, you know, Corey Jacobson, you know, elk calling, can I just pick your brain for the next hour? And effectively I'm just sharing, letting people be a fly on the wall for those conversations, like between two hunting buddies or those things you would, uh, you would miss out on just watching a, you know, watching an instructional video. Um, and because I don't have that, I didn't have that community at the time. Uh, this was my way to develop it and to reach out to other people that didn't have that community that aren't going to have those conversations that aren't able to sit down with, you know, their, you know, their dad and learn about, uh, you know, how to take an ethical shot uh, to, sit down with their grandpa and learn about how to be quiet and stalking in the woods or just who don't have that group of buddies to sit down and share hunting stories with. And that's really why I started it. And, um, and believe it or not, that's actually the short version. I could have gone in, gone on just on how I got into this and how it all got started for hours. But, uh, that's, yeah, that's kind of the background. That's who I am now. Uh, at the time I was living in California, I moved out to, uh, well, I moved out of Los Angeles, started working remotely at my full-time job. Uh, about a year later, a little under a year later, I quit my full-time job, started uh, running my own business, working with companies, doing marketing in the outdoor industry. And uh, at the time, I just kind of realized I'm like, you know, living country in the city doesn't feel authentic anymore. It's time for the brand to grow up a little bit and to unpigeonhole myself with what I'm doing. And so I rebranded it to the Wild Initiative. Um, and, you know, I, I thought a lot about that name and really the idea is that, you know, it's, it is an initiative for me still. It's, I'm not, you know, I'm not this person that's native to the mountains. I'm a, I'm a city boy that fell in love with hunting, fishing and the outdoors. And so this is still, I may be now, you know, another year after that, I ended up moving to Montana. I'm living outside of Bozeman in Belgrade, Montana right now. And but, you know, this is all still an initiative for me, an initiative for the wild. And that's really the whole idea behind the new name, the new brand. Uh, but the mission's still the same, just to share all this awesome information and great stories with uh, as many people as I can. Yeah, well, you can definitely uh, you can definitely tell you're passionate about it. And you can hear it in your voice, man. <laughs> just a little sure. bit. <laughs> Hunting boots are a critical component of any successful hunt. Whether walking a short distance to your blind or trudging miles through rugged terrain, your feet are carrying the load. Without the right boots, you could give up early and lose out on that trophy just over the ridge. At Midway USA, we make selecting boots for your next hunt easier. With just a few clicks of a mouse, you can decide on what's important, like waterproofing, insulation, size, width, and savings. For just about everything for shooting, hunting, and the outdoors, check out MidwayUSA.com. 
So backing up a bit, you said you got into guns. What do you mean you got into guns? Like down in LA, I don't imagine. I mean, like, okay, like up here in Canada, you know, we can, well, not so much anymore, but I remember when we used to grow up, we used to put our 22 on our back and just go into the woods and just shoot beer cans or pop cans. Now you got into guns. What? How did you do that in LA? And like, how did that stem into going from just getting into guns to getting into hunting? Because you said you didn't have, you know, a, a grandfather or a father type hunting figure to look up to. Yeah. I mean, I grew up, I grew up with like a BB gun, you know, and I'd shoot, uh, I'd shoot targets in the backyard. And then when my mom wasn't looking, I'd also shoot pigeons off the roof. Uh, I got caught doing that and yelled at a couple of times. But, uh, you know, I, uh, my dad taught me a lot of stuff. He taught me how to fish. He taught me, uh, you know, how to shoot my BB gun, but it just wasn't a thing in our family. We didn't hunt. Um, you know, if I had gone to my parents and been like, Hey, uh, I want to learn to shoot guns or I want to hunt. They would have been like, okay, let's figure it out and find someone to teach you. Or, you know, we'll learn it all together. And, uh, but it was just, I never had that prompting when I was young. And, uh, I mean, I grew up, I grew up in seal beach. I grew up going, you know, riding my bike to the beach all the time. Uh, you know, that was, that was kind of my environment. And, um, so it wasn't, you know, I, I shot guns once or twice growing up, you know, like, uh, my, uh, you know, my brother-in-law's brother, you know, he had a, a 22 that I shot once or twice. My brother had a, a pistol back in the day that we went out on, like, it was like a men's retreat with our church. And we went out uh, to the desert and all the guys brought their guns and I shot, you know, a, a nine mil a couple of times there, but that was pretty much it late twenties or th early thirties, whatever it was, go to Vegas with all the guys, you know, for a bachelor party. And we go to the gun store and, you know, start shooting the guns. And I tell you what, it's a lot of people, I laugh at myself for it, but I shot the 50 cal desert Eagle. And I was like, this is the baddest motherfucker I've ever done. Like, I was so stoked on that thing. It was like, you just feel it reverberating through your whole body. I'm like, this is freaking awesome. I want to shoot more guns. And so after that trip, I went out and I bought a freaking Desert Eagle. I, I knew for a fact it was the most unnecessary oversized pistol I could buy. And it, it totally, who cared? I just wanted to shoot this big ass pistol. And so I loved shooting that buddy of mine knew I like to shoot guns and he brought me out and he's like, Hey, for my birthday, I want to do this. It's like a, a rifle marksmanship program. You go out and you kind of camp for the weekend. It's like a weekend clinic. You learn some history, you learn the basics of shooting a rifle. And so I went and picked up my first Ruger 1022 for that event. And I, you know, after the first event, I fell in love with it. You, they do a test. They give you basic training. You do a test at the end and you can graduate. And it's uh it's based on the old style uh, army qualification shooting tests, the AQT tests. Uh, it's kind of a size down version that you do with 22s. But, uh, you know, I kept going back to that course until I shot my score. Then I started instructing with that. And I, I've always been one of those people that when I get into something, like I go whole hog. And so, I mean, I, I taught, I bought, you know, ended up buying more rifles. I started getting into vintage rifles, larger calibers, uh, distance shooting. I loved all that. I did some competitions where, you know, I didn't do great, but I placed well enough. And, you know, I, I started getting good, good enough to where it was start. I was starting to lose interest in it because punching paper just wasn't satisfying anymore. And that's really what prompted me to get into hunting was that's how the rifle marksmanship, the rifle part turned into hunting was I just needed something else to do with it. a new skill to learn. I needed a purpose behind shooting more than just getting good at shooting. If that makes sense. Yeah, definitely. 
definitely. No, that's cool, man. It's uh, it's always cool to hear uh, hear how 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 people get involved in hunting um, from you know maybe a little later on in life. You know, like myself, I got into hunting early. My dad hunted, so when we were eight years old, we went hunted with dad. So it's kind of just the thing. But you know, it's interesting with that with what you touched on there, and uh, people who do decide to get into uh, hunting later on in life. You know, there's so much more online content that's you know like maybe like an online mentorship available for people now through podcasts, YouTube, and who did you look up to for hunting or did you kind of just go out and do it all on your own? It was, it was a mix of both. I didn't have, I didn't, you know, again, I didn't really find that, that mentor that's like, okay, I'm going to show you all the ropes and take you out and do this. Uh, you know, I kind of, I mean, uh, my archery is almost completely self-taught. Uh, you know, after I'd been doing it for a year or so, I, I got some pointers and tips from people, but, uh, you know, I went out and I just, I watched a lot of YouTube videos and kind of taught myself how to shoot and the basics and figured out what worked and what didn't. Um, and you know, then I'd listen to, listen to a lot of different podcasts or, uh, watch videos online if I was having trouble with something specific. Um, but you know, I started kind of getting into hunting and, but then I was lucky enough. I started a new job and, uh, you know, deep in the music industry in the middle of Los Angeles. And so I'm kind of like, you know, I'm, get trying to get into hunting and all of this and i'm like great i'm in the one of the most liberal industries you know short of the uh sort of the film and television industry it's about as liberal as it possibly can get and you know this i mean this group let's just say this this group that i was working for golden voice they run an event called eat drink vegan um so if that tells you anything <laughs> you know it's just was not the most hunting friendly place but so I'm in this, you know, we have these, a lot of these like large status meetings and I'm sitting there and I got, you know, I got my boots on, I got my camo cover on my laptop and there's a guy sitting across from me, uh, uh, Samson. And he was actually my, my second ever podcast interview was with him. Uh, and he's wearing a, a Kuyu puffy. And I, at the time I didn't know what Kuyu was. It, I was just like, Oh, it's a camo puffy. I wonder if it, I, and I was like, kind of like, is it, is it like fashion puff? Is it like a fashion vest or is it actually like a hunting vest? So I'm checking it out. I'm like, this guy doesn't seem like he's going to be wearing like a fashion camo vest or anything. So I'm like, but how do I kind of bring it up in a delicate way to where I don't get like reamed by HR or something for who knows at this point. And so I kind of go up into his office and I, I kind of, I'm like, okay, I, I, mean, I got to figure out a way to talk to this guy. I go look in and he's got an elk bugling on his, on his computer screensaver. I'm like, okay, that's a good sign. Then the next one, it like kind of scrolls past and uh, it's the next one is like a diagram of an elk with all the cuts of meat Oh yeah, yeah. <laughs> diagram. I'm like, <laughs> okay, no, I think I'm fine to go talk to this yeah, guy. I'm so, good. I'm good. Yeah. So, you know, I'd been talking to him and I talked to him about elk hunting and I'm like, Hey man, you know, that looks amazing. I'd love to do that someday. You know, when I have about a bunch more money and when I have a lot more experience, he's like, why wait? And I'm like, uh, I, well, I'm like, I can't, you know, afford to pay $50,000 and because th that was what it was in my mind. For me, hunting was like sitting in a tree stand waiting for deer to come out. I didn't know any anything else. I figured the sort of backcountry hunting stuff that everyone does out, out west here was something unattainable, out of reach, uh, unless you were steeped in hunting knowledge and you had a lot of money to spend on gear and outfitters. And I didn't even think you could DIY hunt this stuff. Um and he was like, no, dude, you can do it this season. This is about January of 2017. And he's like, no, bro, you could do this this season. Like, 
I'm like, you're kidding, right? He's like, no, no, no. And he sat down and really talked me through a lot of stuff. And then, you know, over the course of the next several, you know, weeks and months, he introduced me. He's like, you know, this is kind of the different types of gear you want to invest in. This is what you want to look at. Here's some brands you can check out, find what works for you. Here's some podcasts to listen to. Here's some video channels to do, you know, go sign up for Elk 101, do all this stuff. And, uh, you know, he was also one of the ones that really encouraged me to start this podcast, to reach out to people and to, again, chronicle me getting into it. And he's like, you'll have a cool, unique voice that's not present in the industry at the time. And I, you know, I, I was just like, okay, cool. <laughs> um, but yeah, he was, he was really about as close as I got to a mentor initially. Um, but you know, there was tons of people, tons of podcasts I would listen to and incredible information out there. And, you know, I mean, I sat down, I listened to crap ton of Cody Rich podcast, The Rich Outdoors, listen to tons of Randy Newberg. I listened to Jay Scott, which, well, I'll be honest, most of Jay Scott went way over my head at the time. Uh, like, you know, he he would talk about stuff that was just a little, little technical for me sometimes, but listen to a lot of, you know, Gritty Bowman back, uh, you know, back when he and Aaron were doing stuff together. I mean, I just, I would just consume podcasts because I mean, I was commuting an hour each way every day. And so I could hammer out a lot of podcasts while I was at work, while I was on my commute. Um, and uh, yeah, I just, I consumed a lot. I've always been a studier. I, I joined Elk 101. I was on all of the forums, all of the Facebook groups, got involved with conservation organizations to make those connections. Um, and really, I just went whole hog at it. I consumed as much information as possible. Um, and yeah, I uh, I met some incredible people along the way because of it. Yeah, well, definitely. And that's, that's, I mean, that's one of the coolest things about having your own podcast is you actually get a chance to talk to, you know, amazing guys in the industry. And you get to also share that with, you know, other people who may not have access to that uh, directly. But yeah, no, that's cool, man. It's, uh, it's always cool to hear people's story. And and again, you know, it's, uh, it's something how something that the industry is just sort of so neat how this industry is where everybody's willing to just share information. I mean, uh, you know, most of the people I knew, they went out hunting with their dad, right? So they grew up you know, it's just, you follow that, that family lineage that your dad hunted, you hunt sort of thing. So it's always so neat to find uh, stories of guys who get into it later and just how they uh, had access. And you said you started out archery hunting yourself. Like you just picked up a bow and you just went at it. That's yeah. like, it's amazing. It's, you stuck with it because, you know, I kind of cheated my, my cousin, he was uh, like BC champion. So um, I didn't really have any of those bad. He kind of just said, Hey, no, don't do this. Don't do that. Do this, do this, don't do that. And I kind of just like skipped a whole shitload of these bad habits that people gain. But uh, I know a lot of guys who got into, it, they just picked it up and then within a year they put it down. They just didn't stick with it because it's just too hard to, it's too hard to learn. Yeah. I mean, it, it's, it's one of those funny things that it was rifles that got me into hunting and then I went and picked up a bow. It was a rifles that initially sparked that interest. Then I went and picked up a bow and I didn't even touch a rifle for probably about three years. It wasn't until, you know, 2019 that I actually really took my rifle out hunting, um, like of my own volition. <laughs> it was, you know, it's just a funny thing, man. There's something about, and I always tell people like, I did not do this in the wisest way. You know, I, I love my passion for bow hunting and how much I appreciate the work I've put in. And, you know, it's, it's taught me a lot of lessons. Um, 
I can't fully say that I would do it exactly the same if I, if I had a chance to do it all over again. Um, I look back and I'm proud of kind of what I've achieved and the work I've put in, but I also look back and I'm like, Hmm, maybe I should, uh, maybe I should have uh, gone on a few duck hunts first or, or put in for an over the counter rifle tag somewhere or maybe figured that out a little bit better before deciding Dip your toes uh, before you dive off the deep end. Exactly. You know, and I I say that, but let's face it, that is not my personality. And that's never (laughs) going to happen with anything I ever do. I mean, come on. I've never in my life just eased my way into something. I'm like, all right, I'm going to do this. So what's the, how do I do it completely and wholly? Um, So, and I fell in love with that, man. I was the sucker. I fell in love with that romantic picture of the hunt, you know, the, the solo DIY mountain hunt for elk. I mean, you know, you want to talk about a freaking cool, romantic animal. Like that's the elk, man, the bugles, the, 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 they're just enormous animals, that whole thing. Like there's, there's nothing like that. And, you know, people can talk about mule deer hunting all they want, bear hunting, you know, uh, caribou, moose whatever it is but nothing compares to the elk hunt uh, it's just there's something special about it a lot of hunts are amazing uh, elk hunting is there's just a magic to it that is absolutely unbeatable in my mind and i fell in like before i'd ever even gone just watching these videos watching these hunts i fell in love with that romantic picture and i was gonna do what it took to be part of that and so for me my first hunt i prepped you know from january to from january to september i prepped and i prepped and i prepped and uh my first hunt was a diy over-the-counter archery elk hunt completely solo in idaho and i tell you what it was a a freaking disaster it was a shit show of epic proportions um and, you know, I just, uh, I actually very literally just yesterday recorded episode 200 for my podcast. And, um, I, you know, I had my buddy that came in and effectively rescued me, uh, out of the backcountry. Um, I, you know, I had him on again, uh, just to kind of recap and I'm releasing the audio from that elk hunt. So every night I had my recorder with me every night before going to sleep, I would record for about 15 minutes or so. You know, sometimes it was shorter, sometimes it was longer and talk about what I was feeling, what, how the day went, what I was thinking, all of that stuff. Um, and so I'm going to be releasing that audio and it's just the, the timing's kind of funny with all of this, but, uh, you know, I just, I fell in love with that picture, man. And it took me four years. Um, I, you know, that first year I, I, it was a disastrous hunt and, you know, we can talk about that a little bit, but the, the year after that, uh, I just harvested my first mule deer, uh, that following year in Arizona and then got invited up to go elk hunting with a buddy in Colorado. He's like, man, I got this spot. I got this spot. And the spot was empty. He's like, it was a war zone last year. We saw two cows the entire time we were there. We were there for seven days. It was just brutal. We were uh, you know, we were above 11,000 feet. I think we were right around 12, 12 plus thousand feet. And I mean, for me, a flatlander, that was brutal. And then the year after that, I spent six weeks, uh, in Montana chasing elk, uh, out here. And 
I got in, I got to draw on an elk. I, I completely biffed the shot cause I misranged it. And I probably wouldn't have even drawn if I had, had ranged it correctly. Cause they were way out there. They were about 85 yards. And, uh, I, you know, but I got into them and every year a little more happened. I improved a little bit. And finally this last year I went, uh, uh, went out uh, with a buddy as a guide because I drew an Arizona tag and man, it was a grind. It was just the worst rut Arizona's had in 17 years, but you know what? We got it done. Finally, I got my first elk, it's a little four point raghorn, but I'll tell you what, that as one thing I was talking about on the podcast, I value this little raghorn so much more than any, any bull I'll ever shoot because of the work that went into it, the the history behind it, the four years spent just grinding out this passion of mine. And uh, yeah, it's like, it's, it's been a wild freaking ride, man. A lot of stuff's happened along the way. Midway USA brand product designers have one straightforward goal, develop high quality, technically sound products and deliver them to customers at reasonable prices. If you are immersed in the shooting sports industry and pay close attention to every single detail, you know our products are built right and stand up to everyday use. Who has shooting mats and range bag systems to hunting clothing and just about everything for the outdoors? Log on and shop 24-7 with super fast shipping. MidwayUSA.com Getting an elk, it's it's no easy feat. It's not about the size; it's about the hunt. But cool to hear about your your uh, your first story there. This will this will be somewhat of the concise version. I did the whole podcast about it, where we really go into detail on on what happened and what could have changed. But um, you know, so I I'd, I'd been doing all this studying, and I I fell into the trap of like the listening to a little bit too much Randy Newberg, and I'm like, okay, you know, I got to get a, as far away from roads as possible. And so you know, I I figured out like where they're. Yeah, you know, how I could get in. And I found this spot where ideally I'd drive, I'd drive away in, um, with my Jeep I'd park. I'd have about a two mile hike in, uh, you know, through some nasty stuff, but it was only about a two mile hike in. It'll be solid. Uh, well, of course there's a gate that I just somehow missed. I, you know, I didn't ask the right questions. And, and so there's a gate. So that two mile, two mile trip turns into four mile trip, which still, not too bad. I've done, you know, I've done tons of that, but you know, I'd been training. Uh, I'm like, this will, this will be great. This will be, uh, this will still be a good, good uh, hike in. Well, it was a lot nastier than I expected. Uh, like really, really thick and nasty. I was climbing over waist high deadfall. Um, it was just, it was brutal. And so that four mile hike turned into more of a seven mile hike in, with all of the back and forth and crap, you know, trying to, trying to get back and forth and find a route down to these, these clearings that I wanted to, that I wanted to hunt, hunt around. And the other issue with that is it had been in the sixties and seventies coming up to the, you know, in this area coming up right up to my hunt. And pretty much the day I leave for the hunt, a giant snowstorm blows in. And, um, you know, that's one of the biggest things I learned from that hunt was just pack all your gear. If you're driving out, pack every single piece of gear you own in your truck. Um, you know, it doesn't matter if it doesn't matter if you're in the middle of freaking July, uh, and you're going down to the desert, pack your freaking snow gear. Like what's an extra tub in the back of your pickup truck really going to cost you, you know, a little bit of wind resistance on the drive down. Uh, so, you know, an extra $20 in gas. Um, 
you know, pack all your gear because you never know what the hell is going to happen. It's unpredictable. And you don't want to have to go to Walmart and Sportsman's Warehouse and and retrofit your gear with a bunch of stuff that's going to weigh too much because then you're going to end up hiking into Idaho through over waist high deadfall that you can't tell what your net, how far your next step's going to be down because it's also covered in snow. You know, your next step, maybe two inches, your next step, maybe two feet. And, uh, and you don't want to have to load up your pack and suddenly be carrying way too much weight because you weren't able to optimize your pack with your own gear. You had to go buy a bunch of stuff last minute and let's face it. You're not going to be spending all the money to get the ultra lightweight stuff. Um, and uh, I just, that was a huge lesson I learned. So I'm going in with a pack that's probably about a third heavier than, than it really should be. Um, you know, uh, I was planning on being in there for a week. Uh, so I had a lot of gear, a lot of food. I was miserable. That hike in just about wrecked me. Um, but I got in there. Finally, I got set up the next day. I put on about, uh, 10 to 12 miles. I want to say, I, I forget exactly what the breakdowns were. It's been a few years, but I put on a bunch of mileage and on my way back that first day, I didn't see a blessed thing. All the sign was about a week old. The snow I think had pushed everything down lower. Um, but, uh, on the way back, I get about 500 yards from my tent and my left knee gives out completely. Like I can barely oh. put any weight on it. Um, so I make it back to the 10. I'm just thinking I overused it. You know, it was a rough pack in too much weight and I just overdid it that day. So I kind of rested. I, I, you know, I took some vitamin, uh, vitamin I ibuprofen and, uh, next day I was feeling pretty good. So I put on, uh, I ended up putting on, you know, uh, somewhere between seven and 10 miles that next day, uh, about halfway through that, my left knee gives out again. So I'm favoring it the whole time on the re- the rest of the way back because I'm favoring my left knee my right knee ends up giving out as well. I, I didn't know at the time, but I torn the meniscus in both of my knees. Um, and you know, it's not as bad as like tearing an ACL or something, but it's not something that just kind of repairs itself. It's not like, Oh, I overused it. If I rest a little bit and take some Advil, it'll be fine. No, this pretty much was, it was bad news. And so yeah, I spent you, the next- you can't, uh, you can't ice away a torn meniscus. That's for sure. Exactly. And and, you know, all you're going to end up doing is if you keep pressure, pressure on it, you're going to keep tearing it more and more. Well, you know, again, I thought I didn't realize what it was. I thought it was just overuse, but I, I tried to push through it for like the next day and a half, two days. And finally, I just I couldn't do it anymore. And I, um, you know, I'd been I'd been using my inReach, uh, my my uh, now Garmin at the time. It was DeLorme uh, inReach. Uh, to text back and forth with some friends, uh, a friend, experienced hunting friends and some family. And you know, I was talking back and forth to them, getting some advice. And uh, my buddy Clayton, um, who I'd met again through through social media, through the podcast, he reached out and he was very familiar with the area. Uh, and he was kind of prepared to bring his uh, he was prepared to bring his his horses in to help me pack out an elk if I got anything. Well, I finally messaged him and I'm like, hey, man, I need you to come pack me out because I was at the <laughs> point where even without a even without a pack, like uh, without any weight in my pack, like just some food and water, I couldn't make it more than a mile without having to like just just crash out for hours uh, and let my knees kind of recover a little bit. Um, and yeah, it just it absolutely destroyed me. And so he came in, he came in the next day. 
um, and packed me out. And uh, there's a really cool video of of him coming in to make that rescue. Um, and uh, I can I could email that over to you as well. Yeah, definitely. Uh, but it's, yeah, it's a really cool video he put together uh, about that rescue, and you can see you can kind of see the tail end of that. But um, you know that that messed with me for a while. Like it wasn't. Oh. I, it got me in my head. Like I got pretty dang emotional about it. Um, you know, to my, uh, more to myself, uh, just because, you know, you spend months like that preparing for something and it goes like that. It wasn't that I didn't get an elk, you know, that I, I, I knew that the chances of me actually getting an elk were so minuscule. Even it, it wasn't even that I didn't see an elk. It was that it just, I didn't get that hunt experience that I was looking for. Um, I, you know, it, it, I felt, I felt like I had failed and, you know, I look very differently. I look back very differently on, on that now. And I look at what I learned and I mean, I'm super proud of the fact that freaking orange County kid like rolled out into the middle of the woods. And, you know, I had a plan, I had backup plans, I had connections and I was able to, uh, you know, able to get out of there. I had contingency plans for if something crazy happened. Um, but yeah, that was that was my first hunt, uh, and you know it's only gone uphill from there. <laughs> um, yeah. It's I mean, there, there's not much more short of like grievous grievous bodily harm. Like there's not much kind of more that I could have screwed up. <laughs> but yeah, no, it's pretty impressive though, man. Like you said, coming from Orange County, and that's kind of why I wanted you to, you to tell a bit about that because you know it's important not to get discouraged. It would have been easy for you just to hang it up and said, you know what? Fuck it. It's not for me. Uh, I would, I tried it. Uh, this sucks. Uh, blew both my knees out. Like you had so many, not excuses, but just reasons not to go back and do it. Right. And then now, I mean, the people we're listening can't see, but now you got a beautiful elk hanging on your wall. You know, it kind of molds you into the hunter you become is that you have to kind of go through those uh shitty circumstances and you know through the the tribulations of of those hunts and uh yeah man good on you that's cool it's and i'm not gonna lie like there's been a lot of times where i've wanted to just throw in the town i've questioned am i i'm like is this you know why am i doing this you know what's yeah. what's the point after you know three years not killing anything and busting my ass i'm like am i just stupid for for doing this. And I ask those questions, and I, but I love it too much. And, you know, even, even on a smaller scale, not necessarily giving up hunting, but um, it's tough, man, being out there, you know, uh, you're out there for a few days, you're not seeing anything. Um, you know, it's, it's tough not to just give up. And I've, I've been there. I've given up tons of times. Like I'm not going to sit and pretend like, Oh yeah, I'm, uh, I'm the mentally strongest man alive. I've never, uh, I've never quit early on a hunt or this or that or the other. Oh, heck no, man. Um, there've been lots of, lots of days where I'm like, yeah, I'm going to be out here for three days, you know? Uh, and it's just, and I'm just burnt out and I may not like throw in the towel and go back to the hotel room or like go back to my truck. But a lot of, there's a lot of times you can give up without leaving, you know, <laughs> you can give up mentally and you're going through the motions, but you're not really hunting at that point. And, you know, it's, it's you got to realize you got to forgive yourself for doing that sometimes and just not do it next time. Um, you know, learn from that. And, uh, and honestly there, it's not always bad. Like there's a difference also between like giving up completely throwing in the towel and just being like, Hey, I need to reset a little bit. Be like, 
go home, you know, have a, have a good beer at a local restaurant, get a burger in you, get a good night's sleep in a bed and then come back and attack it again. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, you know, exactly. Yep. Go a little bit better, a little bit harder. And, but just, you know, make, make those conscious decisions. Don't, you know, you can't go back just cause it's hard, but if you do forgive yourself, but just be yeah, learn from it. Time. Yeah, definitely. Exactly, man. And I think, you know, I've been through that lots. And like you said, it's funny because, uh, on my, my cougar this year, it was, it took me 29 days to get that thing. And, um, there was a good solid section of those days in the middle where I was kind of just going through the motions. I was just out there because I was just, you know, forcing myself to go out there, but I really wasn't giving it an honest effort. I was kind of just going through the motions. Right. And then you kind of snap out of it and be like, okay, listen, I'm going to keep doing this shit unless I give her right. And then, uh, man, that's cool. It's cool to hear that for sure. Uh, one thing I wanted to ask you about, uh, kind of getting off the topic of hunting, but, uh, you know, going over your, your Instagram page and your social media stuff, um, you're going to see a lot of posts of you, uh, making knives and and a lot of (laughs) stuff about knives. Uh, are you a knife smith? Uh, I, I am. Uh, I mean, it feels kind of weird saying that because I still consider myself like a, a, I mean, ultra, ultra amateur, but I mean, I guess, you know, by all technical definitions, I'm a bladesmith or a, and I was actually having this discussion with a buddy and uh, everyone asked like, Oh, well, what's the right term? Are you a knife maker? Are you a bladesmith? Are you a, are you a forger? I'm like, well, you know, it kind of all depends on what you're asking. Like, you know, okay. Yeah. I forge. I forge knives. I, I hand forge them. So yeah, I'm a bladesmith. I'm a knife maker. I, I am a blacksmith. I've done a little bit of that, but again, I'm super amateur at it, but yeah, I, uh, you know, it, again, through the podcast, it's one of those things. Like, I feel like you see every dude at one time or another, like sees a video on YouTube of somebody like making a knife or watches a movie or whatever it is. And you're like, that'd be cool to do. So oh, yeah, like, definitely. I just want to make one. I feel like that's like a, and yeah. you know, not talking down to the women, whatever. I'm sure there's women out there that feel the same way. Uh, but like, I feel like that's such a dude thing. You're like, I want to make a knife. Like, Oh yeah. There's nothing more manly than making your own knife or your own sword or yeah. Uh, yeah. And so, you know, that was always kind of in the back of my head, you know, one of those things I think would be cool. And, um, I, uh, I had, uh, uh, Laura Zara on the podcast and, she um uh, she's wild like man if you want to talk about uh, some cool freaking people to have on your podcast and just quality people just good human beings laura zara is like at the top of the list um she's been uh you know she's best known she was she's been on naked and afraid like five times uh anybody that like seriously watches the show is like oh my gosh she's like my favorite contestant every time and She's just good people. She has a really interesting story, but she's that type of person. She like just disappears out in the wild for like two weeks straight. And she's like, I'll be back later. Like, um, but she, uh, she wrote a book on, uh, knife making on bladesmithing. And it's kind of like your beginner's guide to getting into bladesmithing. And it, uh, it was one of those things. It was one of those things that kind of finally, it was the straw that broke the camel's back, if you will, that finally kind of got me into actually doing it. And, um, so, you know, after moving out here to Montana, you know, I picked up a forge, I picked up, uh, some more tools and supplies and went through and made my first knife. And just like my very first hunt, God awful. Um, it I mean, it's, it's like, I look at it now and I've, I've made a few adjust a few cleanups on it since then, but I just, it was one of those things. I'm like, I made a knife. That's all I can claim is that it is a knife. <laughs> um, but 
you know, since then, uh, I've just, I've dedicated a lot of time to it. Met some really cool, very similar to my journey with hunting where I just I've met some really, really cool people in this industry and they've been super open, super generous with their time and their advice. Um, and you know, I've, I've started knocking out some cool shit, man. Like, yeah, uh, that's, that's why I had to ask you about it. Cause I see you on there, man, you're turning old railway spikes into these super cool knives and yeah, it's pretty neat. I think, yeah, my favorite right now. So I, I've, I posted a couple of them on the stories, but, uh, you know, I've got one that I worked on and it's a, that's an old file that I've turned into this really cool kind of Viking sax style knife, uh, that I, I got to finish making a sheath for it. I'm going to do that one as a giveaway, like kind of a raffle giveaway. Um, which I think that's just like one of my favorite pieces I've done. I did some cool stuff with, it and it just turned out like badass. And but probably the favorite one that I'm working on right now is a buddy of mine who I actually used to teach rifle with at, he was one of the instructors at this program and he and I became very, very close buddies. And so he reached out and he's like, Hey man, I want a, a Fairbairn, Fairbairn Sykes style dagger. It's a world war two style fighting dagger. Um, they're like freaking gnarly blades like seven inch long blade you know full taper um they're just a brutal hunk of metal and uh really cool looking dagger and um i'm like and everyone that has asked a lot of friends that have reached out and asked about custom blades and or buying some of the stuff i've made and i've sold five or six of them and i always remind them i'm like hey you guys realize i've been doing this since like february right (laughs) And, and they're like, we don't care, man. Just, you know, let us know, you know, we know what to expect. I'm like, all right, cool. And so, you know, I told him, I'm like, Hey, I'll, I'll give it a try. If you, if you want one, I'll sure. I'll give it a try. And every step along the way, making this thing has just been cool. It's turning out so badass. I just finished sharpening the blade profile. I think it's, you know, as a, you know, we're recording this, what Friday, the very end of April here. Um, and it's you know it's up on my story right now and it's just it's like looking so clean and so nasty it's sharp as hell and uh i can't wait to put a handle on this thing get some pictures and share it with everybody because the other problem i have is i make these things and i'm like making it for someone else but then they turn out so cool it's really really hard for me to give away like (laughs) you just want to keep them all yeah they're pretty cool man no i had to ask you about them because i've been checking them out and they're man they're super cool for sure so are these knives uh they're for sale yeah yeah i do i uh i i've got kind of a set of uh certain sets of knives that i'll just i'll make specifically for sale for anyone that wants them i i kind of i call them my uh uh sawed off shoddies or sawed off shorties um they're like these little sheep's foot blades with kind of a it's almost like a sawed off shotgun pistol grip handle like kind of that bulb at the end of it uh, it's just, they're cool little like utility blades. Uh, you know, everyone's a little bit different. Uh, the ones with the bigger bellies, they can be used for skinning, but it's just like an all around good utility blade. Uh, make these little leather sheaths with them. Um, but I make those for sale and I, I definitely, I take commissions. Uh, I would love it if this turned into something uh, right now. I'm working on a few different commissions. I've got a skinning knife that I'm working on. Um, I've got a whole set of uh uh, eight steak knives that are I, i'm really excited to to turn those out uh they're like antler handled rustic looking cool. steak knives um i'm working on uh a fairbairn uh sykes dagger and i actually had another buddy reach out when he saw that i was working on this dagger he's like hey man uh i've been watching this like if it, if it works out i want you to make me one too uh he's a he's a cop out in california and he wants one for his swat kit 
he wants like a, a really oh, yeah. solid, like nice. Because for that, he's like, yeah, I need something for if somebody gets my gun or we're grappling or something happens. I need something that's going to be long enough to reach vitals. And he told me that. And I'm like, oh, dude, that's kind of weird and kind of cool at the same time that like I'm making a knife. that There's a, a good chance is going to like wreck someone's day. Uh, I'm like, there's like a part of me that's like kind of morbidly fascinated with that, like that, that little back of my mind. But then I'm also like, that's weird. That's weird that I might make something that's legit gonna into somebody into somebody, but I digress. But yeah, so I take commissions. Um, you know, everyone needs to keep in mind that you know uh, my skill level, but I do like to think I make some pretty pretty sick shit. Yeah, they're pretty ba- <laughs> they're pretty badass. And uh, in Canadian folk, we can uh, we can buy those as well. Absolutely, uh, shipping will be a little bit more. Um, yeah, always is. Duty. It's you know, not the oh, shipping. Yeah. It's the uh, it's the border. They get us at the border. Oh yeah. So they just fucking yeah. hammer us. Every time I've tried to send some to a friend, it's like, oh man, I I regret I regret not just having Amazon ship this. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. No doubt. Yeah, so no, uh, uh, so where can we find them if we want to pick up a few? Yeah. So I mean, eventually, I'm hoping to be knocking enough of these out to where I can put them up on my on my uh, website for sale. Um, I need to, I'm actually working on some new merch and stuff. I haven't done merch since I rebranded. Uh, and I've, I've actually, I've got some really fun merch that's going to be coming out. Um, also some throwback living country in the city stuff for a lot of the folks that are, have been on my case that they missed out on the, on the vintage gear. Um, <laughs> but, uh, I've got some, I've got some actually fun, fun merch coming out. And then once, uh, once I start getting more of the knives out and kind of get my store set back up again on my website, uh, you can, you'll be able to find them there. But in the meantime, uh, I'm always just posting on my Instagram. Um, you know, I'll be, uh, I'll be posting up a lot of times. It's just in a story. If I, if I haven't made a post about it yet, but it'll, it'll be in posts, it'll be in stories. Uh, if you follow me at the wild initiative, um, on Instagram, uh, you can throw find that it all in, there. throw that in there too. Where, where do you guys find you? Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, find me, uh, at the wild initiative on Instagram, on Facebook, uh, on Twitter. I think it's like underscore wild initiative. Um, pretty much if you just type in the wild initiative, any into any search bar anywhere, <laughs> something about me will pop up. Uh, cool. I, it's, cool. you know, I'm, I'm kind of on most every platform and, uh, you know, if you want to make sure you get an eye on those knives, make sure you turn on those post notifications. I, you know, my, my Instagrams, it's a mixed bag. You know, it's, it's hunting, it's fishing, it's the podcast, it's bladesmithing. It's, I mean, this morning you got a, a time lapse of me doing yoga because I have back and knee problems. Like, that help? It, you know, you know, my doctor, uh, yeah, my doctor told me that I should start doing yoga. Cause I always go there and I'm like, I'm always complaining about shit. I'm like, man, I got this hip pain. I got this knee pain, my shoulders, my elbows and my hands. And he's like, once we do these flexibilities, he's like, man, you're stiff. You got to loosen up. You should go do some yoga. And I'm like, yoga. Yep. Well, dude. And anybody that's like yoga, there's a big difference between yoga and stretching. There's a lot of crossover, but like I yoga, if you're doing a serious yoga class, that'll kick your ass. Like, um, you know, a lot of these moves require significant muscle strength, balance, coordination, uh, flexibility. There's some stuff in a series yoga class that will absolutely wreck you. And, but it'll work on, on your flexibility. It'll help prevent injuries when you're up in the mountains, things like that. And, uh, it's been huge for me. Like I'll do, I'll usually do like 
10 to 20 minutes of yoga as a warm up. I'll do it after a workout as well. And then on top of that, I do very focused stretching and it's huge, man. Before and after I go into the mountains, I always do like 10 minutes of stretching and it just, you know, again, I I've had bilateral knee surgery. I've used to ride a motorcycle in LA. I've been to the damn hospital more times and I've got a bunch of titanium in me. Like I need as much help as I can get, not re-injuring myself when I'm on the mountain. And so I do, I do a ton of stretching before and after, you know, in the mornings when I'm, when I'm going out, uh, you know, get the, get my knees and my hips and my legs and my ankles and my back all, all worked out. So I'm not, you know, pulling something. Cause I mean, how many times have you been out in the mountains? You're going up there and you got your, your, your pack's kind of heavy. You got your pack on, you turn your head funny and you end up with like that, that muscle that seizes up in the back of your neck oh, yeah, for, the, yeah. for the next three days. Like it just sucks even more than it already does. And so, yeah, that's been huge for me, man. Like, uh, a lot of, a lot of functional movement yoga is great for that. Um, you know, and it's just, it's, it's being holistic. Like it sounds, you know, I know a lot of people roll their eyes at that shit and it's like, Oh, I'm just going to do squats and lift. And I mean, that stuff. <laughs> yeah. That shit's important. That's really important. Like strength when you're trying to heft a elk quarter up onto your back for sure. But you know, if that functional movement is what's going to, that's going to help you lift shit. But that functional movements is what's going to help you not get injured after you lift it. Um, yeah, yes. I'm going to have to, uh, maybe I'll have to download some, uh, some beginner yoga and I'll have to give it a whirl. Honestly, like what I've been using for a couple of years now, and it's been fantastic is I signed up for the Peloton digital app and they've got like everything you could ever want in that damn thing. Like it's, they've got all the cycling and run. They've got cycling classes, boot camp classes running. And I wish I was sponsored by them because I've sold so many damn people on this thing, but they've got yoga classes and they've got them and they've got them like different, <clears throat> different levels. You can start out like just learning one move or one position, whatever it is, and then take a beginner class and then take a more intermediate and an advanced class. And I still don't, I've taken like one of the advanced classes. I'm like, screw this thing, man. I, I don't, I'm, I'm not nearly at that level. They like, it just wrecked me. I was like drenched in sweat. I could barely move after it. Like it was, it was rough. Um, but yeah, they've got all of that stuff. So if you, if you're the type of person where you need like a lot of those guided workouts, which I'm such an unfocused person, a lot of the time that I need that instruction just to kind of keep me on track. And, uh, dude, they've got absolutely everything in that app. And it's like what, 12 bucks a month. Um, it's freaking great. I love it. I don't know Check if you guys it. can get it up in the great white North, but I assume so. Uh, Trudeau probably banned that too, with all the <laughs> firearms and all the other shit. So who knows? But, uh, so you got a few other things going on, uh, over on your webpage. Um, give, uh, give waypoint outdoors a, a quick plug. Oh yeah, absolutely. You know, uh, waypoint, um, ah, gosh, I joined them. I'm trying to remember when I joined waypoint, but it was a while ago, you know, it's been over a year at this point for sure. But uh, they are a podcast network. They reached out um, and it's really, it's just a network of network of, of outdoor podcasts and uh, you know, podcasts of in a similar vein. There's a, a big variety of them on there, whether you're into saltwater fishing, fly fishing, um, you know, uh, turkey and whitetail, you're into uh, more like homesteading and, and nutrition kind of stuff. Um, if you're into Western hunting, you know, there's just a huge mix of podcasts you can find on there. 
the Waypoint Outdoor Collective, you know, you can get a link to that in the podcast section of my website. I got them up there. Um, also got the blog on the website. Uh, you know, I don't, I, I, I don't blog a ton. I'm trying to get better at it. Um, I, I'm trying to think what I have up there right now. Um, I know I just released, I released uh, a blog talking about grip and grins recently. That was, that was an important topic for me. Um, you know, I'm, I'm one of those people, I'm not one of those people that's kind of like, okay, you know, you shouldn't post pictures of dead animals on your Instagram. And I'm not like, I'm not like we should kowtow to the antis, but I feel like there's appropriate ways to do it. And I, I mean, I've, you know, there's a whole article on there about that. And, um, you know, I've recorded practical, practically entire podcast about it. Cause you can get into that stuff for days. You but, can. Uh, I kind of agree with you. It's, it's, uh, there's a, there's a place and there's a time to post that stuff. And it's more so a place. You know, you got to keep it to your inner circles. And I, I'm the same way. I've talked about it tons of times that we're not going to get into it because we'll be sitting here till tomorrow talking about that topic. So, Oh, without a doubt. But yeah, I got that up there. I've got a recaps of a lot of my hunts. Um, wild enough. I can't believe I have not recapped in a blog, my, my elk hunt. So I may have to do that at one point, but, um, yeah, you know, I've got a recaps of a few of like my first first animals I've taken. I mean, I got a freaking Christmas cookie uh recipe on there cuz why not? Um you know, I talk about arrow builds. I talk about different stuff and you know, I I I never want people to think like I'm presenting myself as an expert in any of these topics because I'm not. Dude, I've been I've been hunting for 4 years. Like, yeah, that's more than many, but it's a lot less than most. And I mean, let's face it, even, I mean, even the guys at the top of their game, like you talk to Jim Shockey, he'll be the first one to tell you he's not an expert at anything. Um, I feel like the more you learn, the more you, it's, it's, you know, I'm sure that's an idiom or a saying by someone famous, but it's like, the more you learn, the more you realize you don't know. And I never want to present myself as an expert. The whole point of my podcast is that I'm wanting to learn from these awesome people and, and anything I share is something I learned. I either experienced myself and learned from a personal experience. Typically that comes in the form of doing something wrong, or it's something that I'm just sharing that was passed along to me by someone else. You know, I'm not ever pre- trying to pretend like this is insight that I have uh, in my wisdom. I have deigned to share with the the peasant masses. No, it's, you know, I'm an, I'm an idiot. I'm an idiot in the woods. Like, left and right man the first solo podcast i ever did was called uh more things not to do in the back country like <laughs> come on <laughs> um, uh no uh wild that's where everyone can find you a lot of yep, great yep. stuff on there so anybody up here in canada listening go check uh, sam out okay man i had a whole slew of podcast questions i uh i wanted to ask you about uh unfortunately we just ran out of time Some, <laughs> somebody will be yelling if i don't get back to work so Oh, uh, there you go. Yeah. And I, I know I won't shut up. So I'll, uh, <laughs> I'll let you finish it. Yeah. Well, it, uh, it'll leave uh, a good segue opening for maybe a future podcast. If you got time. There you go, man. Anytime, anytime you want me back, I'm more than happy, but thanks so much for having me on. I appreciate it. All right, y'all, that'll do it for this episode of The Wild Initiative. Make sure to check out the show notes page at thewildinitiative.com. Get links to everything we talked about in today's episode. Big thank you to Kevin for having me on. I had a great chat with him. 
Y'all make sure you go give Kevin and the Focus Hunting Podcast a follow. Give them a subscribe on your favorite podcast platform. Make sure you give them a listen. Of course, you know, after you listen to your weekly episode of The Wild Initiative. All righty, y'all. That'll do it for this week. Looking forward to next time. But until then, I hope this episode inspired you to get involved, get outdoors, and plan your initiative for the wild. Thank you for listening to The Wild Initiative. Please take a moment to leave a rating and review on iTunes or Stitcher and head on over to thewildinitiative.com to get show notes, check out the blog, gear discounts, other podcasts from the Wild Initiative family, and more. You'd think, with four of us spread out on a tiny island, that the task of tagging a whitetail would not be a big thing. But, as I've learned... No matter where I've been, whitetails can be damn tricky. Pursuing wild game in wild places. Tune in to Hunt Stand Presents Saturdays at 8.30 p.m. Eastern. Waypoint TV, the destination for outdoor entertainment. You want to succeed, you want to fish, you want to be one of the greatest. Tune in to West Marine's Life on the Water, presented by Costa Custom Boats, every Saturday night from 7 to 9 p.m. Eastern on Waypoint TV.